Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. So, Tommy, I want to just read you a tweet. I'm um, so excited. Even though I know you're, you've already read it because you're on Twitter all the time. All the time. Literally every two minutes. Um, so this is from um, at Mech Blank. Mech Blank. One of the, one of the OGs. OG Mech Blank. Mech Blank. <laughs> Way. We love you lots. Um, she said, I will literally pay you guys $10 if you let me talk about Bye Bye Birdie with you for five minutes on the podcast. I consider myself Twitter's only Bye Bye Birdie stan. For my qualifications, please see my bio as well as this photo of the Bye Bye Birdie sticker on my laptop. Ah, Jimmy, we missed out on $10. (laughs) I know, exactly. But what would that be? Would that be $10 each? Would that be $5? What's the... What's the conversion rate to... What do you guys use? Scots? What are they called? You just yeah, use we, Lucky Charms, right? Yeah. Hypni bits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. That isn't even a thing. It's um, an amalgamation of a thing. Hip, hypni bits? Hypni bits. So a hypni, you know, like a thrupney? Oh, okay. A thrupney, like the a opera. A hypni's a half one. A hypni, hypni bits? Hey, like, say the word hey. 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 Hey, as in like, you know, hello. Right, but say then that? I would say I would say hey. That's fine, and then hey. say hey penny. Stunning. <laughs> diddly diddly dee. Yes, we don't. We're not Irish. Diddly diddly <laughs> dee. <laughs> not that that is Irish, but the way it's just to say. Um, so yeah, cheers. <laughs> Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour. I'm Tommy. And I'm Jimmy. And this is the only musical theater podcast with crap booze. And tap shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's where we're at with rhymes now, guys. That's where we're at. uh, Here, we take apart your favorite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffoonery, and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theater conversation. Jimmy, what are you drinking today? Milk! (laughs) That was good. That was a good read. Wasn't I, it? it was good. I told you that was going to work. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, I've got a quiz question. I'm so Are excited. I'm so ready. Okay. So according to legend, <laughs> such as King Arthur. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dramatic music party, plays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> at the rap party for the movie adaptation of this musical, it was either Maureen Stapleton or Paul Lind who stood up and said to one of the leading female actresses, I want you to know that I'm the only person who worked in this film who doesn't want to fuck you. What, what could it be? It could only be Bye Bye Burhi.
What I would quite like, what I would quite like, <clears throat> mm-hmm. is if we only refer to it as Bye Bye Burhi. Bye Bye Burhi? Like Cora Hoover Hooper? Bye Bye Burhi? Hoover Hoover? Yeah, Bye Bye Burhi. Because that's now what I call it in my head. It is my my good, good friend who in some musical mash watch with me's is the pink text. Um, the, this might have even made it into the time when we watched the 1995 Bye Bye Birdie um, pointed out to me the fact that Anne Margaret sings Bye Bye Birdie. Like it is just entirely the wrong consonant. What, well, what I don't understand is how you didn't notice it before. I totally over my head. I've seen the movie plenty there's no, times. There's there's just no D there whatsoever. There's no D. d there's no, it's just Burhi. You know, maybe it's because in places where there's no D whatsoever, I usually don't notice that. <laughs> hey. Oh, it's not, it's not even midnight where I'm at. <laughs> I know. Bye bye, Birdie. Uh, Jimmy had never listened to this before. Um, I had, yeah, I dipped in, but I'd never taken it in as a full experience. Tommy, so there you go. Which is there's that, but it's so, a similar similar so, chat to Music Man. Sure, yeah. We don't well, and, we don't deal in Bye Bye Birdie over here. Which is so fascinating. So Bye Bye Birdie premiered in 1960 on Broadway. It's got music by Charles Strauss, lyrics by Lee Adams, and a book by Michael Stewart. Yes, indeed, all newbies. Um, and it did extremely well. It played for 607 performances, um, which again at that time is, is still pretty damn good. Absolutely. Um, it won the Tony for Best Musical. Mm-hmm. Well done, well done. Um, uh, Dick Van Dyke also won the Tony for his uh, leading role. Um, it won Best Direction, Best Choreography. Uh, and has kind of just enjoyed notorious success in yeah. America since. Still super popular. Uh, adapted into a movie in 1963 with much of the original Broadway cast. Um, mm-hmm. And has had several revivals since and is a super popular high school show. <sighs> yeah. Surely, like, is it is it Grease and Bye Bye Birdie? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think do you both... Must, do you know these stats? Both have fallen out of favor in recent years. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, even I, Greece. Even Greece. Um, I think Greece. Like we've kind of gone past. I. 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 I, I oh, oh, I'll show you the moon. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think our like kind of contemporary woke culture is pushing down lots of pieces of Greece and Bye Bye Birdie. Mm, I think appropriately okay. so. Um, yeah, and fair. Getting younger theater teachers and more, you know, socially aware theater teachers and theater departments uh, starts mm. to do this thing. Um, but also, they just, they're kind of outliving their datedness, which I'm sure we'll talk mm. about. Um, but yeah, like, I've done Bye Bye Birdie in schools. I have not done Grease. Um, Interesting. Grease is one where I appreciate most of the, all of the directors that I work with. And when they choose shows, as a, a tech person, I'm always given some, you know, veto power. Um, and mm-hmm. also, I'm never given the onus of picking the show, which is a perfect place to be in. Um, but I do. Yeah. Bye Bye Birdie and Grease are both right on the opposite ends of, or the, like, they're very close to my line of what I do and don't want to do. Bye Bye Birdie, I am absolutely okay doing. Grease, I'm not mm-hmm. okay doing, but they're both right there, which is... Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what, that, what that says about my values as a tech theater director. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
I feel it's, it's interesting, and we'll we'll get into their relationship, I guess, sure. a bit in a bit. Um, but they feel a bit like star-crossed lovers. They you do. Know? They do. They are. Yeah, that's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Um. So, bye, bye, birdie. I I think it'd be entertaining if I attempt this. Please. For how tired I am. Yeah. So and have, having being new it to it, tell me what it's about. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Albert Peterson, uh, is a songwriter, mm-hmm. and uh, one of his biggest clients, who's been kind of propelled into fame, uh, is Mr. Conrad Birdie, mm-hmm. um, and Conrad Birdie has just been drafted uh, into the army. Uh oh. And is set to leave in two weeks. Two weeks in a short amount of time. In a short amount of time. Um, and so, uh, as a big kind of last hurrah um, and sort of PR stunt, mm-hmm. um, they want to let him perform a song um, on the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, and on that performance, he is going to uh, kiss one of his fans mm. uh, as he serenades them. And that fan is uh, Miss Kim McAfee mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Sweet Apple, Ohio. What a um, generic Midwestern town name. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, Kim is obviously very excited. Uh, her family may be less so, but they are excited to appear on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, Stuff ensues. Uh, There's back and forths. Um, (laughs) uh, Albert's relationship with his uh, secretary, Rosie, or Rose, um, it comes into play and he has a awful mother. Um, And there's hijinks and a happy ending. There you go. I'm so proud (laughs) of you. Thanks very much. (laughs) I, oh dear. I think this show has a deceptively complex plot. I I think it has an unnecessarily complex <laughs> plot. <laughs> but it's the sixties. Well, it's just the sixties. It's just the sixties. So I don't mind. <laughs> no, and it is it is very much a thing of its era. Shall we do mm. wanna, shall we talk about its era? Its era sounds good to me. I was trying to think of a good like era pun there, like uh, uh, you betcha, but like you bera or um, you bera talk about that, like bera bera. I don't know. <laughs> You're gonna have a great time tonight. Oh, I'm so um, excited. We all are. We all are. We, all we are. always do. We all are professional. Come on, <laughs> right? Um, so this was written. In the 60s. In the, well, in the late 50s. In the late 50s, early 60s, and is set 
in the 60s. This is one of those, mm. I don't, I, I use this word more and more to describe this thing, but I think I'm one of the few people who does. This is a contemporaneous musical. It was, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. written about now, just now happens to be 1960s. It is indeed. And at the time, uh, <coughs> it was a very accurate reflection of the world would you would sure you say that? absolutely i mean large it's, largely inspired by actual happenings to the one and only elvis presley exactly so um i think i can't remember i think it was michael stewart who had the idea first that sounds um, right yeah it might have been charles strauss i don't know it also might have been the producer i can't remember um anyway no i think it was charles strauss it doesn't matter um one of them one of the creative team had the kind of idea uh after seeing the sort of furore that was created when elvis was drafted into the army Mm -hmm. um he had the idea of writing a musical about that yes and i'm kind of obsessed with that as just an idea yeah of just like here is like a kind of news story let's write a musical about that sure but not not about that right but like inspired by that upon that yeah like i was trying to think of another situation where that has happened where it's like a specific like inciting incident yeah right that's notable yeah but not like you know a, a war not like a war or not like right um oh there's i don't know you're you're sleepy come from away um but see i don't know i don't know because that well no come from away might be a good idea yeah because it's about gander specifically yeah chicago the play that the musical is based on uh-huh. is inspired by an actual i think they might have changed the names but it was a like 1920s gangster you know or flapper arrest in chicago like it was the thing <laughs> Um, okay. It was inspired by news stories. Um, okay, not, that's fair. Not to take all the air out of your sails. Um, no, but I still think like it, it. It was just a man getting drafted into the army. Sure, I do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I do find it interesting. I find it really interesting. Well, and that it is so specifically based on a real event, but still fictionalized, which does mm, compl- and through and through, like right, which does set it apart from, say, Come From Away, which is less, much less fictionalized. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, so yeah, I'm sticking with my point, Thomas. <laughs> I'm sticking with it, and I'm going to run with it. Um, so yeah, I can't wait for the four thousand things of like, well, you forgot about that. <laughs> like, yes, I did forget about it. I have a brain. Um, so anyway, I just think that is a really, really interesting inception, and I think it really feeds into the fact that this is a very, as you say, contemporaneous musical. That it is almost yeah. Uh, a, a nice little snapshot. Yeah. Well, and of the time. That is one of the fascinating things to me about this show is that it it is parts of it have absolutely withstood the test of time and parts of it are so absolutely dated and they stand mm-hmm. so distinctly hand in hand. Um mm-hmm. which is uh, when you do it, especially as I did it with middle schoolers, uh that gets kind of tough like you know, you you don't see. We're starting to see this with other shows. Shows that started as a this is real life. This is nowadays on stage, and now mm-hmm. we do as kind of a reference to a bygone era. Yeah, 
But like when Bye Bye Birdie came out, it wasn't like, oh, remember the 60s. But now it feels like remember the 60s. Um, Yeah, very much so. Um, But what's quite interesting about it is obviously woven into the book are all these very 60s references. Oh, yes. You know, that really me as a a Scottish Mm -hmm. uh, millennial go way over my head. Yeah. So like, let's take a big one. You, I assume, because you're uh, an Amerophile, but you know who Ed Sullivan is. I knew who Ed Sullivan was. I knew the Ed Sullivan show was a thing. Sure. Um, but beyond that, yeah. Je n'ai pas. Yeah. Well, and that's so. Then, when you're trying to teach a bunch of you know seventh graders about it in, uh, you know, 2016 or whenever we did it, um, right? And like. We could say to them, just think of like Ellen DeGeneres. Um, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and we did have this moment where we were like, gosh, are there any other? Could you be like James Corden? Like, could you, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Conan O'Brien? The like, there's no. Yeah. And like, not only does no one's name fit in there, none of those late night or even daytime, even Ellen or like maybe oprah but oprah is so different um Uh in like what ed sullivan did like ed sullivan invented the late night talk show um yeah as we know it at least yeah um and i think like his was more it just felt more variety based mm -hmm. as opposed to now it's much it's really about the host yeah whereas and certainly you know from what my research has shown ed sullivan show wasn't about him no and obviously that's you know the the facts about the host is a product of a lot of things sure absolutely you need, a, you need an icon but um he was just like the kind of lovely part of it yeah. that everyone fell in love with yeah but it wasn't you didn't watch the ed sullivan show yeah to see ed sullivan right you watched but but to you know harry mcafee's delight being on the ed sullivan show would very much feel today like being on ellen or something exactly um, exactly and like hi ellen right <laughs> different song did you know that's actually based on ellen degeneres <laughs> well s- <laughs> stop um, <laughs> no that was another thing and this is a thing i'm running into more and more uh teaching uh-huh. adolescents about plays that weren't written in the past five years mm-hmm. uh phones have changed rapidly dynamically and with like so, like the whole concept of telephone hour doesn't make sense anymore not at all and which is so which i find specifically strange knowing that be more chill does a like like a send up like a almost one for one send up of telephone hour called the smartphone hour and when yeah. you analyze it from that perspective it's one of the things where i think be more chill the musical kind of misses the point of the contemporary american and like we're the contemporary american child like it's uh-huh. it's a parody and if you get it it's funny but like no you know they they make a couple jokes about texting but the vast majority of the plot manifest itself through phone conversations in that yeah i'd be like let me tell you if high schoolers were telling other high schoolers that someone burnt someone else's house down it would all be through text but that's all be through text or like snapchat right like if there wouldn't be a a conversation yeah no it's i made a tiktok about it um yeah yeah, exactly but that doesn't make for compelling stage business Um, it does not but like explaining to kids how a corded phone works and like no the cord has to go 
somewhere. Like that's a thing. Yeah. That's a thing yeah. I've done in my life. Um, which it, I just find so crazy to me because it is such a, a, a seminal moment in the show and a representation of a culture that is just gone. Well, that's exactly it. It's that, you know, um, the reason why the telephone hour is in Bye Bye Birdie is because that was something that was going wild at that time. Yeah. Kids were coming straight home from school and they were speaking for hours on the phone, right. much to their parents' chagrin, right. you know? Um, and this was kind of the start of that yeah. happening, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that's what's really nice about Bye Bye Birdie almost to look at is that it does feel, as you say, like a period piece, like a little archive right. of... 1960s America and it feeds into everything you know like not just the the actual um the the references Mm -hmm. um but the relationships Mm -hmm. uh the family dynamics um and of course rock and roll yeah oh yeah well and um that's the thing is that like sure the telephone hour explicitly would be a really weird thing to happen nowadays in contemporary America. But Mm. the spirit that it embodies of teenagers having this, like, you know, like, hiya, Hugo, what you want to go get pinned for? Like, you know, you could find the contemporary, like, and people don't even do this anymore, but, like, why'd you change your Facebook relationship status? Like, (laughs) the the themes are absolutely still exit. Um, We just do them differently now. And, like, that's the, the crazy thing about it is, like, sure, rock and roll was the, you know, the boogeyman then, um, in a very particular way. And we have so many different ones now um, mm-hmm. that instead of rock and roll, it's just, you know, I don't know. Vaping? That's not right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> they are, they actually are like for like equivalents. Um, but no, it's, well, I think, I think if you're, if we're looking from a musical perspective, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I said was really notable about Be More Chill. Yeah. Um, is the fact that it's using more like rock kind of emo yeah music and emo is the well it kind of was the subculture was the rock and roll of of emo's time right like yeah these these things we we put different covers on the same book sometimes and they have different flavors and things change certainly yeah but i think it's spe- like the the core of bye bye birdie and the reason why people like it is because it kind of found these themes um, mm-hmm. That seem to be very—I don't—I don't know if they're very American, but they—they those themes have stood the test of time. Yeah, I think I think I think specifically musically, uh, this is a really interesting one because this was one of the first shows to put rock and roll on Broadway stage. Absolutely, um, and that's really interesting. Yeah. because of how it treats rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So the rock and roll in this show. Uh, is very different to the rock and roll you would find anywhere else on a Broadway show, maybe? Yeah, I could. Tell me more. What do you mean? So what I'm getting at, um, basically, your main kind of rock and roll focus, Conrad Birdie, mm-hmm. um, is just one of the silliest and most ridiculous characters in musical theater history. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like, he is an airhead. Uh-huh. He has no depth. Uh-huh. Um, he is just kind of a mouthpiece yeah. um, 
for something or other yeah and uh what that shows is the creative team's feelings about rock and roll right um what i think they've done is they've identified that here this is a thing yeah um let's kind of look at this because obviously contemporaneous to 1960s this was the advent of rock and roll mm-hmm. um and so they've decided to write it but they're writing it from the perspective yeah of the adults right not understanding how important and how significant it is yeah to the kids i i would i i see what you're saying i think mm-hmm. they do strike a little deeper because I think Conrad's song, A Lot of Livin' to Do, and especially Act Two, Conrad, kind of mm-hmm. blows that up a little bit. Like, Conrad is an idiot in Act One, and I think a little less of an idiot in Act Two. Do you think? Or do I you think do. he's still just a big idiot? What does he do? He, there is a sense, there's something, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm off base, but I get a sense in Act 2 that Conrad Mm -hmm. has a moment of being slightly more sympathetic. Um, He -hmm. has this moment where he gets pretty angry at uh, Albert and like storms out like everyone's doing to Albert in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. In this kind of like, I'm sick of you controlling my life, man. I got a lot of living to do. And that is the inciting incident for a lot of living to do. Now, Mm -hmm. the things he goes to do is like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like it's not a very laudable moment, but you do get this brief moment of like, oh, this, this kid, you know, also is just trying to deal with his unexpected fame. But what I want you to try and do, yeah. right, is put your brain inside the head of a 1960s parent. Sure. Are you going to watch him casting off at your hero? Yeah. Right? Mouthing off at your hero. Yeah. To go and kick up some fuss at the local dive bar. Sure. I w- right? And be like, I approve. I love that. I will. I guess the other thing I w- would add into my thesis bucket there is mm-hmm. parents are not painted in a sympathetic light in this musical either. Albert's mother is terrible. Paul Lind is a clown. Um, so, the, but see, this is it. It's, it's really interesting because Paul Lind is a clown, mostly because Paul Lind... Because he's a clown. Um, yeah, it's, don't get right. me wrong. Great character. Love it. Absolutely. But... I would say at no point does he feel like he is not in the wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say. Sure. Like, uh, at no point is he being denigrated. Okay. I feel like, I feel like, um, it, he, he, he during... is a victim of his world. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, kind of. He's yeah. painted as a victim of these kids, right? Like, exactly. And it's like kids to me doesn't feel like um, it. It if if you put your head, if you put your brain in sure. the this adult scene, it, it doesn't feel like a parody song. Yeah, I kids is one of the few songs in the show that I think has entirely withstood the test of time. Um, it, it has, but it's. 
the meaning of it has completely changed. Yeah, but I think the joke is why can't they be like we were perfect in every way? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. but that that's that's the joke. You weren't kids are kids are kids are kids are mm-hmm. kids are kids are kids, right? Like when, you know, uh uh Kim and Hugo grow up to have their kids in mm-hmm. the non-canonical sequel that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, like, they could sing the same song about their kids. And, you know, always on Facebook, what's a fortnight? Like, it's... Yeah. it's and Over and over again. And, like, that is the joke. But I don't know. Am I reading in a 2019 meaning into a song from 1960? That's the thing is, I wonder if we are just too... Like, if, because of course that's what it reads like nowadays. Yeah. Of course that, and it's saying, but is there ever a moment where parents are sitting in like, huh, you're so right, kids are fucking annoying. Right. I mean, Do you know what I mean? The, the joke then is that um, uh, uh, Harry McAfee's other, uh, other child... Yeah, little Randall. Little Randall sings the the reprise of kids, and yeah. like that's that's a joke. Like that complicates things. It it does, and I think it makes it more like, uh, justified in what, uh, Paul Lind uh-huh. was saying. Like I think sure. it backs him up. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I, I just think I don't think. Bye Bye Birdie uh-huh. is the celebration of rock and roll uh-huh. that Greece became. Sure, that's fair. Right? Because it's rock and roll was adopted yeah. by the teens yeah. of the 60s and the 50s yeah. um, as their subculture. This was the beginning of, of youth subculture. Sure. And there right? is, I mean, Bye Bye Birdie and Greece have more than a decade difference between them. And Greece yep. was not contemporaneous. Um, no, just barely. Exactly, but I think exactly. that it is a very hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> I will say, and this is mm-hmm. a, a thing I'm looking at as I look at the you know kind of the timeline of musical theater. Mm. Bye bye, Birdie, bringing rock and roll into musical theater m- might be well. Okay, this this sentence I'm about to say has an asterisk next to it, but okay, is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, incorporation of what you might consider an external music genre into mm-hmm. the world of musical theater. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, like the year before it, you know, Sound of Music, like, and then even like the Music Man, okay, maybe like Marching Band, but that's doesn't uh, feel yeah. the same. Um, no. You know, and then I will also say there are some other like Tony Award nominees uh, like, oh, I don't know, Flower Drum Song, um, which right. maybe incorporates an external genre of music, but in a different kind of way, in a kind of like appropriating kind of way. I'm about to poop on this because jazz. Mm, sure. But I would, I would say prior to this. In terms of like, but I, I, I think I know what you're meaning. Because I, I would because say. Because you mean that rock and roll was new. And rock and roll was not, like there's plenty of jazz, like musical theater and jazz were a little hand in hand for a long time. That's the thing. Like, if we're talking about musical genres that came after the birth of the musical, right? 
the jazz maybe, but still no one was like, and the first jazz music, right? Like, no, but no, but that's that's what I mean. Sorry, is that rock and roll? Yeah. is the first yes, yes piece of music sure. that was adopted in. Yeah, um, because yeah, that's the thing. Jazz and musical theater yeah. came up together, and it is like there's an interesting. I'm developing this this thesis in my brain, but we do have mm. so often when I'm trying to like paint broad strokes about where like the musical theater timeline is, I'm looking at yeah. the Tony noms and the Tony winners for different years. 1958, The Music Man won. 1960, yep. The Sound of Music won. 1961, Bye Bye Birdie won. And there's a bunch of other things in here, like Gypsy, um, yep. a couple other. That might be the ones that I can point at, at least, where they are shows written with a diegetic music explanation inside of them. Mm -hmm. The Von Trapp sing. You know, uh, uh, Harold Hill brings a band to town. Mm -hmm. And then in Bye Bye Birdie, Conrad Birdie is a musician. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing that's happening around the, the turn of the decade between the 50s and the 60s, where we're mm -hmm. like giving ourselves excuses to have music in a musical as opposed mm -hmm. to we just burst into song. And then mm -hmm. the, the wonderful added wrinkle of Bye Bye Birdie is that that music now is also like a story keystone. Like mm -hmm. the... You know, Conrad Birdie sings rock and roll, and mm -hmm. his some of his non-diegetic songs are also rock and roll informed, mm. which is it's a cool cheat that I'm sure was an accident, um, but it lets you start putting a rock and roll sound into some of your non-rock and roll music. I think yeah. "Got a Lot of the Living to Do" is the example because you look at like. Albert's songs and Rosie's songs and everyone else's songs and they're musical theater through and through. Yeah. Conrad's songs are rock and roll and a lot of living to do. Bum, 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 has that yep. rock and roll baseline to it. Absolutely. And so you get to start putting that into it, which is, you know, it's a, 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 a like, and then the dams are released, you know, then, mm -hmm. then this continues to happen until today. Yeah, no, completely. Um, I just, yeah, I just think it's it, it is an interesting notch in the musical theatre timeline, um, because of that. Because I don't think, it, yes, it existed, but I don't think it was representative. Yeah, of, uh, like it's that's what I mean. It's, it doesn't feel like a celebration of rock and roll. That's fair. Well, and this is you know, nineteen sixty one. We're still several decades out before. Like maybe Greece might actually be one of the first examples of mm. a, a, a younger a, demographic a high musical. Yeah, a, a musical yeah. geared towards younger folk. Precisely, and that's that's the thing is like, you know, Greece had mass appeal with a younger right. generation. Whereas um, Bye Bye Birdie is not wasn't I would wager written to be a family musical even like no. I don't, I, I, I don't think so. That's what, and this is the thing. This is what I'm trying to get at is that parents are coming to see this show. Adults are coming to see right. this show. Um, yeah. And so they will be viewing it from their own experience. And that's why they'll be sitting right alongside Paul Lind when he's singing about Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Because they're like, oh my God, yes, we absolutely love Ed Sullivan. Yeah. And when Anne-Margaret is yeah. talking about 
being a sorry not Anne margaret kim but it's you sure. know, one of the same right. um, is talking about how lovely it is to be a woman that's yeah. funny for the women in the audience because they're like oh i remember when i was a teenager yeah and all the changes were happening sure you know what i mean teenagers will... aren't gonna watch how lovely to be a woman and be like that's me right now yeah well <sighs> because it's not it's ridiculous it is ridiculous but it's also true i don't know if i'm just more teenage adjacent um like absolutely i could see one of the teenagers i work with be like oh that is me when you that how lovely to be a woman when you switch from boys to men like and fully really? and entirely believing it um there when you know i work with teenagers we deal with teenage drama i deal with teenage drama on a daily basis um yeah. and one of the things one of our deans has said to me on several times when i'm dealing with you know whatever the recent breakup drama is of the week um uh-huh. and what she says all the time to the adults in the world is like you know puppy love may seem silly but puppy love is real to puppies yeah and i do think there is a glimpse of that in this show there is an honest teenager in here certain no i think no more exaggerated than paul lind is an exaggerated father mm-hmm yeah, I guess. I don't think it's sympathetic towards them, though. Sure. I think, uh, it, like, the upstanding teens yeah. are, like, Hugh. Sure. But I think, what would Not you say? Like, Kim has to learn to become yeah. an upstanding sure. child. But... Do you know what I mean? Like, by the end of it, Kim falls in line but... with... We're we're missing Kids. we're missing the middle generation, and there are so many parallels between Kim and Rose and Albert and Hugo, um, and mm-hmm. and Albert and Rose are adults, and mm-hmm. we watch their relationship struggles alongside Kim and Hugo's relationship struggles. Mm. Um, I'm, uh, you know, Kim's like Rose, I'm going to run away with you. Men are terrible. Um. And they very intentionally draw a lot of those parallels. Mm-hmm. And Rose and Albert's love is complex and, you know, fraught with difficulty and certainly nothing to be poo-pooed. Um, mm-hmm. It's certainly viewed through a parodied heightened lens. Like, you're not, like, this is not some deep relationship drama that we're, you know, experiencing on stage. Like, this isn't Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or something. Um, yeah. But there's they're still drawing that like hey adults have relationship difficulties and so do teenagers and they have different flavors but Mm -hmm. we can look at both of them next to each other yeah (laughs) (laughs) we haven't disagreed for several episodes we haven't this is good though this is really good because like i don't know i just feel because by the end, mm-hmm. Kim and uh, Kim and Hugo are set to be the quintessential nineteen sixties adult couple. It's like sure. you know, happy two point four children, subservient wife, right, and you know, breadwinner husband. Yeah, I don't think the the teens of the sixties wanted that because this was the start of their counterculture this was the start of sure. their rebelling and you see that in in telephone hour birthed. like did you really get what you wanna go get pinned for um yeah like the and this is it is like this idea of shunning yeah that and casting that off is 
beginning mm-hmm. but instead your two main you know your or your secondary love story has this happy ending mm-hmm. of um welcome to traditional family life thank you very right. much right yeah you know it doesn't feel subversive it doesn't feel because if you if you look at greece if you look at the sure the lens of greece yeah um it's the complete flip of that yeah sure i mean and i don't i don't know that's that's just that's yeah that's how i see no you're totally right and like the fact two. that like even you know uh like kim's i want song is one boy uh even though she yeah. kind of like protests against that about halfway through but then ends up one boy like exactly sure the 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 teens in this are painted with an adult brush that i absolutely agree with there are chicks just right for some kissing and i mean to kiss me a few man those chicks don't know what they're missing i got a lot of living to do sizzling steaks already for tasting and there's cadillacs all shiny and new gotta move cause time is wasting i got a lot of living to do there's music to play places to go people to see everything for you and me life's a ball if only you know it and it's all just waiting for you. You're alive, so come on and show it. Yeah, we got a lot of living to do. So one of the yeah, we've kind of we've kind of touched upon it already, but um, I think one of the the things that I noticed about this show, mm-hmm. obviously listening to it fully for the first time, yeah, uh, recently, is how kind of interesting it feels uh-huh. <laughs> nowadays yeah right uh-huh um and i gutted myself laughing at the song kids mm, yeah well and that's the thing like i the reason i experienced bye bye birdie first was mm. because my mother had it on vinyl because oh, cool. she listened to it when she was kim's age right right uh-huh and now my mom's a boomer um, at least in generation. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because Harry McAfee feels like a boomer in some of the ways that we've kind of created that trope of what middle to late aged adults are in contemporary America right. or society. Um, so, yeah. And this is so I don't. <sighs> I don't think we were as much in the habit of labeling things as we are now. Sure. So I don't know if like parents of that generation yeah, six, had a term. Sixties parents. I mean, they're oh, like the, the the war parents. Yeah, they're they're of, the greatest you know I mean? generation. They're the like World War Two post boom. You know, they're yeah. they're the ones that had enough prosperity and had enough sex to make the boomers. Yes. Um, right. Uh, they, they and yeah, they were the they were like the grafters that paved the way so the yeah. boomers could have the affluence. And, and they're the... they're you know the the leave it to Beaver white picket fence. Oh my new oven! Um, like mm. you know that post war boom economic boom. Um, that then created the baby boom. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they they probably do have a label and a title. But yeah, I, I, I would I would wager, and someone will correct me. I'm sure, but I think they're oh, yeah. they're the greatest generation, quote unquote. 
the greatest generation. I know. Okay. Because um, I know like the 70s is like the me generation. Sure. I don't know what that and means. These, and these labels um, are all arbitrary. And Yeah, exactly. Know. They were made up by people who, you know, just made them up. Right. Anyway. Um, but, but it's really interesting. Yes. Because obviously this is something... And, you know, we, we spoke about it literally in the last podcast. There's a a big disparity, mm-hmm. right, in age yeah. um, at the moment and appreciating things yeah. uh, and understanding yeah. things and other people. Yeah. And um, you wonder if this is one of those, like, the pendulum swings about this thing. And the first time mm-hmm. it swung in one direction was the 60s. And then it went back through the 70s and free love and hippies and all that. And now mm-hmm. it's going back again the other way. And we have this adult-kid relationship again. Yeah. And it's it's just so because, like, it, I just feel if, you know, Bye Bye Birdie went on today. Yeah. And they sang about kids, mm-hmm. right? And all the people watching it are the iGen or the Generation Z kids or even just, you know, millennials like us. Um, We'd be watching being like, "Uh Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, alongside the people who are like, oh, I remember Bye Bye Birdie, this is great. And then hearing this kind of played back at them. Yeah. It is. I like, think that's really entertaining. Bye bye, Birdie. Even beyond some of its, you know, more specific dated references, I think thematically, for that reason, is not yep. headed for a Broadway revival anytime soon. No, I mean, there's yeah, I think there's plenty of reasons why that's probably the case. Sure, um, but uh, yeah, I, it, it's it's really funny. Yeah, it's really funny, and I now kind of want to just play it. Yeah. Whenever I have like a really, you know, patronizing conversation mm-hmm. with someone of the generation above me and I just want to be like, yeah, this is this is you. This was played for you. Oh, yeah. Well, and it is like there's one. Hold on. I want to find it. Um, it is one of my favorite monologues in all of musical theater. Um, mm-hmm. Mr. McAfee's mono- monologue. Mm-hmm. I've tried to run this house on a democratic basis. I've extended the privilege of self-determination to both the woman I have married and the children I have sired. The vote has been denied to no one for region of age, sex, or political affiliations. There have been no taxation without representation, and open covenants have been openly arrived at. Last night, I gave up my room to a guest who repeatedly referred to me as fats. Telephone calls were made on my phone to New York, Chicago, Fairbanks, Alaska, and Hong Kong. I slept in a camp cot with my feet in the fireplace and my head in an ashtray. Outside my window, three harpies shrieked, We love you, Conrad, 4,723 times. And I have just lost two fried eggs. Gentlemen, the democracy is over. Parliament has been dissolved, the Magna Carta is revoked, and Nero is back in town, and you don't offer an emperor a warm seven up. It's one of the best pieces of book writing. That's really good writing. It's so good, and it's so Harry McAfee, and it's so like an entitled boomer generation thing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But But that's the thing is, you know, Harry McAfee isn't a boomer. Right. He is the pre, and yet we're listening to that, and I'm like, that is the exact same thing yeah. that we hear now. It does. It is one of the... I wonder if I've ever... You'll know better than me about the words that come out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> if it's a thing I've ever said before. But I do think a lot of this uh, like cyclical opinion of society 
is very much related to generations. And like, Mm -hmm. especially in this particular moment with my mom having the Bye Bye Birdie record and I, Mm -hmm. and my mom's great. And I think has like a lot of not of those stereotypical boomer tendencies, but certainly Mm -hmm. her peers and age do. Um, Mm -hmm. And she learned it from her parents. And so is there this like rolling cycle that's the distance between when people generally have kids Mm-hmm. And so what and that kind of like rolls and cycles. And so then whatever generation came next after my mom's parents, mm-hmm. their kids, you know, the, the generation slightly younger than us are now mm-hmm. representing, you know, whether it's like free love or hippiness or like whatever. Um, right. OK. And are we starting to see those like that tide start to wash in again? Um, well, yeah, potentially. I mean, who obviously who can say right um because it's i just i don't know i just think it's really funny because every single generation thinks they know best sure um and that is the kind of thing that stays that's the kind of thing that always cycles around yeah at all points yeah we know best we know best and and we're Um, older so listen to us yeah and i think what's great about the song kids Mm -hmm. is it just flattened that yeah to like because it's a song set in the 60s about Um, how good parents are in that era and how annoying kids are and is now enjoyed can i can i tell you i kids was one after i downloaded your good man charlie brown off of itunes Uh uh-huh or this might have even been pre-itunes i might have like napstered this stuff um i know and like typed in musicals or something um after i would after i was done downloading veggie tales songs we can talk about that later um that's right i downloaded some weird stuff but But kids was one of the first individual musical theater songs that i downloaded long before i even knew that this was a thing i was gonna like um Uh and so i've known specifically the song kids for a very long time yeah and paul lind has an aside where he says, I don't mind the moonlight swims, it's the loop-de-loop that hurts. Right. I've done this show. I've done research into this show. And, like, <laughs> later in La La Living to Do, they say loop-de-loop. There is a reference to moonlight swims, but, like, what's the, what's the loop-de-loop? Like, I get, I get contemporary teen slang. I, there is no way to find, find out what the loop-de-loop is. <laughs> No, it's buried. It's so, or maybe it was nothing. Maybe like this was the 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 made up slang they're using in this particular moment. But it, I mean, maybe. But what the reason? It's so interesting that you bring this up because I completely agree with you. I think it's so (laughs) random, and I had the same search. Yeah, nothing. And I think like I don't know. Maybe it is literally. It's buried. Yeah, but like annals of time, because the the references in Bye Bye Birdie are so specific. Yeah. And like I, that I feel like it has to. I can I can grok what Moonlight Swims is, right? They, you know, Conrad and Kim go for a Moonlight Swim, or maybe, right? right? You're gonna go skinny dipping or do something, right? Yeah, exactly. Loop the loop could be anything. Um, could be anything. The only thing, maybe it was like I don't know, a dance move, but that sure. But <laughs> the implication in that song is that it's worse than Moonlight Swims. Yeah, true. Right. So what is? <laughs> What is it? Uh, I like. I feel like you know we need an <sighs> urban dictionary from the sixties. I know. Hey, any listeners from the sixties? <laughs> Maybe 
Yeah. Let us know what the hell are lip to lips. Yeah, they're not going to be listening anymore after we just spent the last 15 minutes insulting them and telling them about how entitled they are. <laughs> no, we weren't insulting them. Oh. We are insulting their parents. Well, I think we just insult everyone. Kids, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Kids, who can understand anything they say? Kids, they are disobedient, disrespectful oaks. Noisy, crazy, sloppy, lazy loafers. While we're on the subject, kids, you can talk and talk to your faces blue. Kids, but they still do just what they want to do. Why can't they be like we were, perfect in every way? What's the matter with kids today? Yeah, okay, we bring up a good point. Yes. What would Bye Bye Birdie look like today? This is a good question. Because, okay. like, if, if you say, like, if you were given full reign to, like, revise, rewrite. Yeah. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, what's what's crazy is there's some real easy substitutions to make. You know, mm-hmm. Conrad Birdie could be any of the Jonas Brothers or Shawn Mendes or a whole slew of teen idols. I mean, we're yeah, we're in the fan culture land, right? Like right now. In, in a snap, so much like in the fan culture land that like Elvis created. Let's say, yeah, you know, people, yeah, Elvis and the Beatles, yeah. Were, People didn't scream at concerts before then, um, yeah. you know, and they invented that. So, like, that sort of stuff is pretty easy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the relationship stuff is actually a pretty mm-hmm. easy transference. Um, the, you know, Hugo and Kim are having teenage, teenage relationship struggles haven't changed. Certainly, we might give the females more overt power. Um, and I... I do think this is one of those like of its time things. I think the the ladies in the show were powerful for the sixties. Okay, you, you disagree? You gave me a look. I I do. Okay, tell me what you mean. Um, I think they're awful. Really? I think I think uh, they're awful. Yeah, I think they're absolutely awful. I don't think they have any agency. Rose. Yep. She. Um, like literally, uh, you just have to like lit like come on, come on. Albert isn't a nice. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> like, he's a sad. He's not a nice. He's man. a sad sack he's, of a human. Um, yeah, and he's really he doesn't listen to her needs. Um, so much so that Rose then goes and lashes out and effectively, you know, enters into some very sticky situations. Oh sure, the Shriners ballet. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, right, yeah, let's segue. We'll get back to Rose. Let's just segue into the Shredder's Ballet. Very oh, yeah, quickly that you got to cut. If we're, if we're redoing it right now, here's the problem, though. Have you, I forget, it's been so long since I've watched the movie. Yeah. On stage, separated from some of the dark, dark terribleness of the connotations of the Shriner's Ballet, as mm. a physical piece of staging and choreography, it is clever and funny and like so comedic. It certainly mm-hmm. doesn't imbalance how gross it is. It's awful. Yeah. It's really misguided. I think even for even for then. Even I don't for even the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's 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 similar in tone to uh West Side Story when Anita gets attacked. Sure. But there right. it, 
when Anita gets attacked in West Side Story, it's taken with a tone of seriousness. Exactly. Yeah. And it is appropriate to the story. Right. It is is as heightened as that moment should be. This is a laugh. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. If you... Because some versions, I think the Jason Alexander one, the 1995 TV movie, doesn't have the Shriners Ballet, appropriately so. Um, although, okay, I got to think back. Um, so some people, depending upon if what version you've watched, uh, in protest, Rose runs away to a, a dive bar, and there's a Shriners meeting going on in the back room, filled with men yeah. and fezzes, um, and to kind of like ideologically get back at Albert... Uh, she, well, somewhere between flirts and gives all these men a blowjob. Um, uh, whatever happened under that table stays under that table. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, you know, 12 or 13 men. And like, it's, it's without context is very funny to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's disturbing. Sure. It's really disturbing. Um, anyway, to steer back into Rose, um, all the, she even has a song. Uh, her and um, Kim have a duet mm-hmm. called What Did I Ever See in Him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That should be how their story ends. Yeah, but that's where, like, this is where m- m- my thesis of for the 60s, these are powerful women. Because they get to have that song. Yeah, but there's that song is completely nullified. Sure. What that song what that song is is that oh, how dare you even think that silly women come back to your man. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And I don't think them having that moment is empowering because it's taken away from them. Yeah. I I hear you. If one of them, that's the thing, like if Rose struck out on her own at the end mm-hmm. and Kim went with Hugo, yeah. That's better? Yeah. It's not great, but it's better. Yeah. Um, all it is is that Rose enters back into an abusive relationship. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, I, d- I, I, I don't, uh, I, I really don't like the women in this show. I was, I, because I was thinking, I was like, I, I mean, I get it's the time, and I, I, you know, absolutely, it's sure it is what it is. But um, but even without, but comparing to even something like How to Succeed. Right, which we've already lauded is is sure uh, not a great representation of women, yeah, at all. Yeah, and it, it kind of teeters it teeters along the line of satire, yeah, you know. But it still it sits in the the you know right right as you're told right side. in the pocket, yeah, right. Um, Bye Bye Birdies is it's a satire, but it's a satire of rock and roll. It's not a satire of relationships yeah but you you look at you look at rose and albert's relationship and like rose like starts the show and is like albert i'm leaving because you refuse to marry me because your mom's a dick Mm -hmm. like that's that's her world and so i'm leaving and spends the whole show threatening like if you don't marry me i'm gonna leave if you don't marry me i'm gonna leave and albert's Mm -hmm. character progression turns into fuck you mom i'm gonna marry her um in the in the Jason Alexander one, Tyne Daly falls into a lake. Albert's mom like has like you know the Cruella Deville baked into a cake comeuppance at the end of it, and then Albert's like Rose, I'm so sorry. Everything is rosy. I forgive you. Let's. I will reward you with this thing you have wanted since the top. Yeah, me, the man. I will allow you to be my wife. Sure. 
you have you have lowered yourself and reduced yourself so much that you have been assaulted by hundreds of men. It is time to allow you to be my wife. That's fair. That's, That's fair. how I view it. And the thing is, is what I think is interesting is you've you've grown up with this musical. Yeah. No, that's right? fair. So you, you've obviously, in the same way that, uh, yeah, I find it really hard to see the problems with Ren. Right. Like if if I if I just saw this musical with fresh eyes today, would I have a different opinion? Is it exactly? Is it a good so question? This is all. This is all I see. Yeah. This is all I that's see, fair. and I. It it makes me really not enjoy it. Um, what's that song? I think it's abysmal. Uh, Baby, talk to me. Mm, I think that's phone. it. Um, yeah, he's basically it's it's the literally like I'm sorry. Yeah, will you be my wife again? Yeah. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Or it's a beautiful. And that's all it took. Or it's that's a beautiful all it love song. It, it was in the sixties, absolutely. Well, but see, um, that's the thing, and this is a thing I I really struggle with but i want to mm-hmm. i'm like i want to be better also at. one boy is is really just sure oh from a oh. contemporary standpoint fuck one let boy. me give myself but to thee yes yeah. yes um abs- that one i think easier than talk to me um mm-hmm. you know because one boy is also a rejection of rock and roll and that kind of sex drugs and rock and roll getting pinned is an yes. old tiny thing um, yeah exactly but um like around talk to me around all of this like it is so difficult to have the like a uh, a uh, a uh, a bifocal lens to view dated pieces through. Yep. Right. And and it's, like I think the '60s especially because <laughs> values are changing so rapidly, we weren't there. And even like the best historians or people who are trying to record what was happening are still giving us a skewed view of what values were at the time because we're talking about values, the most objective thing humans experience. Um, and so to like go into like to to be able to accurately analyze the art. And to make assumptions about how people felt about it then and about how yep. people felt, felt about it now and to know where the line, like what, what, what are you going to be okay with forgiving people of the past for? Mm-hmm. You know, like should they have known better, fuck them, or was it just the 60s? Uh, completely. And this is it. And this is something that uh, we are going to keep encountering as we do this podcast um and it's in the kind of canceling culture that we have nowadays right uh you know it it raises a lot of challenging stuff yeah um because i remember the first conversation i had where i kind of realized that oh actually this is a this is a big issue it's there's no clear-cut thing yeah was when i had an argument with someone about rent Mm, sure um and I could I could talk about rent for years, yeah, about how important it is yeah. to me and how important it is to history, yeah. Um, but someone listening to rent with a fresh pair of ears can tell me how problematic it sure. is. Sure. Well, and even you know, there's other lenses about like rent is a very real and very accurate portrayal of its time, and absolutely viewed through a contemporary lens, you know, let's say rent live kind of perpetuates a lot of contemporary held stereotypes around HIV and drug use that are not true right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And so I, I understand this conversation and I can hear the debates I would have with people who 
adore Bye Bye Birdie. Right. Do you know what I mean? And people adore this show. Absolutely. And they are absolutely allowed to. Right. That's the crucial thing. Yeah. Is we shouldn't be saying, you like Bye Bye Birdie, therefore you hate women. Right. That isn't it. Well, and I do think, and this is, as we've talked plenty of times, one of the very particular joys about musical theater is this conversation is always more acutely pertinent with musical theater and with theater in general than it Mm -hmm. is with uh, more static art forms. Yeah. Bye Bye Birdie, the movie, is less problematic, I wager, than Bye Bye Birdie, the licensed script from MTI. Yep. Even if they're the exact same contact content. Yep. Because the film is done. And it's set and it's not going to change. But you exactly. get a box filled with scripts from MTI with this text that you have decided you're going to recreate for a week or a month or however long in front yeah. of a bunch of people. And so you yeah. have to be more okay with that in 2019 than sitting down and putting on Bye Bye Birdie on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's a nice segue, Tommy. Let's do it. Hop on. <laughs> so call me the wild Spanish rose, the craziest flower that grows. I'll kick up my heels and see how it feels to be sultry Spanish rose. Ole. We can add that to the t-shirt. Hop sure. on. That's fun. Um, so, hey. Yeah. Uh, you make a very good point. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, the text can change. Yeah. And uh, people have tried. Mm-hmm. Um, so this Bye Bye Birdie mm-hmm. um there's like two distinct versions, I would say, that exist. Some exist a bit more than others. <laughs> yes. Um, one of them being the movie mm-hmm. and the other being the... Apparently it's coming this year. I can't wait for it. Um, that is not coming this year. It was just they said two years ago <laughs> that it was happening in 2019. Um, the upcoming NBC Live yes. production starring yes. Jennifer Lopez. Yes. Um, both of which have substantial changes mm-hmm. to the book. Yes. Um, so should we start with a movie? Sure. And talk about what's different? Yeah. I mean... Because I think, I think it's quite notable what's different. It's, it's fascinating. I think a lot of what's different certainly revolves around Aunt Margaret. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... The Do you just call her Aunt Margaret? Aunt, my Aunt Margaret, as you may know. Leaves... Do you have an Aunt Margaret? Nope. <laughs> Fun story about the name, though. Anne Margaret. Um, 
people used to always call my grand grand margaret she is mm. her name was margaret right um but it was always grand margaret yeah and i remember the first time i heard and margaret i was very confused mm. because i thought they were like making a joke yeah. about my grand did like all the all the calculus math being. like appear in front of your face and you start like yeah, exactly. your eyeballs around. um yeah. if you've only seen the movie version you need to know that the only song that was added for the movie version was the title song bye it's already played right. it's the opening it's the opening um <laughs> and it was filmed months after the show was the movie was done filming yeah in an effort to uh make the b plot the a plot is that a good way to put that exactly this is the that this is the most substantial change with the movie is the shift in focus of who is at the center of this story yeah which i would say you know interesting that we talked about the stage musical being very much for parents and mm-hmm. this was a shift to make the movie be more for kids maybe yep or for i or for the director to get more personal time with Anne margaret I guess I think there's there's arguments for both, Thomas. Um, it certainly opened up mm-hmm. the story to kids a lot more. Yeah, like um, they do not feel nearly as put down upon in the film mm-hmm. as they do in the musical. Yes, yes, they... the balance feels a bit more a balance. Yeah, they um, they have more agency. They're more nuanced <laughs> in their characterizations. Yeah, exactly. Um, And their stories Mm -hmm. are just more significant. Yeah. They have a bit more weight to them. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, the the focus has now kind of been shifted in the movie to uh, Kim and Hugo's relationship and how that's affected by Conrad Birdie. Mm -hmm. Um, And the focus is taken away Mm -hmm. a little bit more from Albert and Rosie. Yes. Um, and they're kind of, I would say they're kind of brought into a level playing field. It's a, And it, to me, I actually think it's better book writing mm-hmm. because the um, the mirroring mm-hmm. that we've already talked about yes. between those two relationships is a lot more apparent yes. in the movie as yeah. opposed to the musical. Yes. Uh, perhaps because... Um, and just like doing... Perhaps because hmm. the kids are more human yeah i completely completely they make more human decisions you see their reactions and you see their thoughts and their feelings a lot more um and they did really interesting things with that and i actually don't think they were necessarily intentional sure yeah (laughs) i think a lot of it was because of who they cast right yeah no i I don't think yeah i agree Uh, yeah, I don't think they set out to be like, let's change this book up a bit because it needs changing. It's only three years after. Right. Yeah, 1963. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they were just like, wow, we found something incredible at Anne-Margaret. We need to really push her up here. Right. I can't remember the guy who plays Hugo, but he has this incredible voice. Mm-hmm. He has the best voice in the well, film. And he is, he is certainly... <laughs> Hugo goes from on stage being like an absolute, you know, glasses-pushing nerd... To being yes. a like, well, uh, we could see that you're trying to put a, you in a in a frumpy sweater, but mm, you know, girls are swooning for you. Everyone's exactly. swooning Girl, for you as well. We're deep swooning. You have the best voice. Yeah. You're extremely sexy, yeah. um, and a good dancer to boot. Yeah, um, it it's 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 funny um, because 
what they then did was okay well we need to give these guys more songs right um so obviously Anne margaret gets the opening mm-hmm. she opens the whole film so instantly your eyes are on her right and you're looking at her story yeah um and then uh hugo gets brought into mm-hmm. um uh i got a lot of living mm-hmm. and uh v- more interestingly i think um the both of them are brought into rosie yeah which is an interesting parallel to play, and they it they absolutely is. kill so many so many of Albert and Rosie's moments. Yes, there's they a, really do. There's no English teacher. He's not an English teacher anymore either. He wants to be a it's like science teacher a, or something, a biochemist or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um. They also, and I wondered what you thought about this, but mm-hmm. Rosie Alvarez is now Rosie De Leon. Um, yes. And they get rid of Spanish Rose, and Albert's mother is is bad but not they cut which i think wow this is complicated but (laughs) on its own i really enjoy in the stage musical rosie's line where she goes spanish is not a religion yes which is i think in response to something albert says um which i don't know what's your read on this i struggle with this on on what on the spanish thing yeah yeah, um, I think, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the, the casting decisions. I think they didn't want Cheetah Rivera. Yeah, and they found Janetly, and they wanted to put her on the spot. Yeah, she isn't Spanish. Right. Um, and they weren't going to do that. And so they, and so they cut it in the movie for that reason. Yeah, I think so. And also, it just then alleviates that whole plot line. Sure. You don't need to stress about that. It's an easy reason to do that. But okay. I, I put this argument out not having not knowing if I agree with it. Yeah. Giving what was written as a role for a Latina woman yeah. to a white actress yeah. and rewriting it to fit. Even yeah. if there is this, and I also think this is kind of dubious, but this argument about like, you know, is this a racist thing that we're doing about, you know, no one likes you because you're Spanish. Well, I'm not really. I'm from Ohio uh, or uh-huh. uh, Pennsylvania. Um, like, also seems kind of racist. <laughs> the like the ca- song, Jimmy. Getting rid of there's an argument that I could see. Uh-huh. That, it's well, it's whitewashing. Yeah, it's whitewashing, and that's 100 whitewashing, and that's racist. It, yeah, that's racist. Right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's whitewashing. It's whitewashing. It's whitewashing. It's as racist as whitewashing is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a Hollywood decision yeah. for Hollywood. Yeah. Because they couldn't put a Latina woman in the front of a white movie. Sure. like I, A big white, white movie. The So the question I have, and we mm-hmm. don't know the answer, would... The live version that didn't happen of Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Starring Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. As Rosie. Yeah. Contain those songs and references again. Yeah. I think they 100% would. So one of... Uh, so yeah, to, to move on to that, the NBC live version, its biggest hook was that it was going to be Jennifer Lopez. Right. Um, and it was Harvey Firestein at the helm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very open to changing as much as was necessary fascinating um so uh i think one of jennifer lopez's big things was she was like i want to portray 
a middle-aged Spanish woman. Mm-hmm. And yeah. was very adamant about that. Um, <clears throat> I think what he would have done mm-hmm. is what they did in the revival mm-hmm. with John Stamos. Okay. The way they framed it there, uh, what it was, was Rosie singing to May. Mm. May was on stage right. and Rosie was there mocking her. And so then it is more like, is this what you want, white woman? Exactly. Yeah. It's This is the stereotype that you've made me. I'm playing up into this. Is this what you, yeah. is this what you see? Is this what you believe? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we're all looking at May as the, vic- the villain right. here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's... And we're kind of along for the ride with with Rosie. Yeah. Um. That's how I think they would have done it. Sure. In the NBC live. Yeah. Um. Just because obviously it's so close to the revival. The revival was that long ago. Right. Um. And I think that's a smart. I think that's a I really smart really decision. Yeah. I, I think that's it good is, writing. It is interesting to me that that kind of just fits pretty easily into that. Uh. Yeah, it, it completely. It's, it's really. It's it reminds me of the change that um, Arthur Lawrence made when he did the two thousand and eight Gypsy, mm-hmm. where it was like, I don't know how to fix "Got to Get a Gimmick," but I can't cut it because it's got to get a gimmick. Right. I know what I'll do. I'll have them sing it to Louise, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like that works. And I was like, oh, okay, so you contextualized it right. rather than just making it a showpiece, right? Yeah, and that's exactly that's exactly what what they did in the revival i i think yeah that is it's the it's clever it's thoughtful it says that you're not just blindly putting this on stage but you still like that's you know that is the bifocal reading is like this is a good song yeah. it's a good song we should keep yeah. it but we have to do something to it for us to be able to keep it exactly so he's, he's never said that that's specifically what i did but that's what i would um yeah conjecture sure uh the other big change that he was gonna do uh was to, he recognizes that Rosie is poorly written mm-hmm. um, and ch- tried his best to kind of elevate her. Sure. Um, so she was no longer Arthur's secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both teachers. Okay. At a high school. Okay. Um, so they had to scrap the English teacher yeah. because of that. Um, and... Uh, I don't I don't know the other specific Right, how that all panned uh, out. It's an Yeah. An interesting um, thought. So but it basically was to give Rosie more agency. Right. But I think he'd need to do a lot more choppy choppy yeah. before he could fix that character. Sure, sure. And she'd need another number. <laughs> and, you know, let's not even get started on the the you know binary gender stereotypes and like there's other deeper problems in the show just in its way mm. that it's not even considering some other things um, right exactly it just dives exactly so blindly into some of this stuff yeah um so it's, it's interesting when it comes to when it comes to ad- adapting it and doing it now mm. um i think it is a really interesting conversation to be had because and again we, we had it when we talked about uh, how to succeed yeah yeah because the Matthew Broderick one mm-hmm. felt as dated as right. any old yeah. chestnut. It felt awful. Yeah. Um, but then the more recent revival with, with Dan yeah. um, was a little bit better. And they started to recognize things in the way that they framed the songs sure. and the way that they directed it um, without actually changing much of the, the source material. Right. Um, 
where do we stand on and bye bye birdie actually changing the text yeah do you know what i mean like but not even just bye bye birdie just any of these shows sure. that that are so contemporaneous and are and are you rewriting history when you do that exactly is it the same show yeah there's a um Lindsay ellis who's a fantastic youtuber who we've talked about on the show before yeah. we've talked about uh, aladdin um had a beautiful video uh that everyone should watch and will absolutely be in the show notes um mm-hmm. called woke disney um yeah that's about a lot of things but one of the things it's specifically about is the live action dumbo and how they wrote out the racist crows in it um mm-hmm. who sing the song uh when i see an elephant fly which is maybe one of the most iconic songs of the dumbo cinematic universe um yep. and like the dumbo cinematic yeah, universe yeah i love the the dumbo sequel with um i don't know the pink elephants <laughs> don't give them any ideas um i would watch that yeah i probably would too um <laughs> But, like, it is this question. And, like, her thesis is very much, like, Disney is trying to sell you its wokeness um, as a branding thing. And I think musical Mm -hmm. theater is a little less guilty of this. I think it is Mm -hmm. a little more wholesome in its attempt to rewrite or reframe or re-justify some, you know, less than PC uh, 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 pieces of history. Um, Yeah. And it's... I also see the trap of like justifying something by saying, well, that's what it was historically. And that's the secret Mm -hmm. excuse I'm going to use to perform my very racist thing because it's a historical piece, right? Like that's not okay either. Um, That's tricky. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's really tricky. I'm excited to see the West Side Story revival. Me too. Very much. Uh, Yeah. Who knows? Because I don't know. I've not done my research yet. I don't know what's changed. I mean, they're certainly branding themselves as this time it's different. Um, you yes, know, sir. But if Oklahoma because can pull it the off, the movie yeah. is not. Yeah, no, the movie's not. So, um, yeah, that's it. Oklahoma did it. Yeah, West Side Story came just after. Now it's time. <laughs> See, maybe Bye Bye Birdie will be in three years' time, and it will be a different yeah, show. Yeah, the Wokeified Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> I just, do you know what? I think you could do it. Yeah. I think it's possible. I think you could I too. I think it's possible because because it is satire. Yeah. Because there's so much in it that is ridiculous. Is so heightened. Um, you just need to twist that a lot more, I think. Yeah. You need to really push that nail and make the ridiculous characters yeah. nowadays. Yeah. But Jimmy, you know what that means. Ridiculous. Is you're gonna tune into late night television and you're gonna see James Corden say, "And now the cast of Bye Bye Birdie," and the light's gonna ping on and he's gonna go, "James Corden." That will yeah, happen. That's how it will. That's how the Tony Awards will open. That's exactly that year. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, if we if we time machine that, that is a oh my god. Our Tony's host is James Corden. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm surprised they haven't done that yet. <laughs> a good point. Maybe, maybe it's in the pipeline. Uh, t- uh, uh, trademark, trademark, knows. trademark, trademark. Your royalties. Oh yeah. Does that work? Yeah, you get. You gotta say it three sparked. times though. It's like Beetlejuice. Oh, okay, cool. Great. Trademark, trademark, trademark. I did it. Um, the other version. Just before we finish, yes. that I do want to talk about. Um maybe the most significant mm-hmm. most important 
um it's, it's not a version of bye bye birdie at all uh, i just want to mention it mm-hmm. uh and margaret in the flintstones called and margaret <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were going to talk about the Mad Men version um oh no <laughs> i've not watched Mad Men. me neither I don't have that as a they parody bye bye birdie at some point the oh, just nice. the bye bye as an I, I never watched Mad anyway okay uh, that that is a really good bit. Welcome, in Mad Men. Welcome to Jim and Tomic's references. We don't know our exactly. I've been told that I should watch Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, yep. But Anne Margrock is really funny. It is really good. Does she does she uh uh look up from whatever she's doing and look at the camera and go, "It's a living." Let's get this started. <laughs> uh, no, but. Oh, you were being the the. Okay, we were hitting two different references. We were. There. It was this is comedy gold. <laughs> Honestly, people are in stitches right now. We're my dad wrote a porno has nothing on this podcast. We are professional podcasters. Yes, we are. Sometimes it's the first thing in my Tinder bio. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, a much more interesting job than my actual job. Now people will know it's really you when they're swiping. Yeah, exactly. I ain't no catfish. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no catfish. I don't know what. It's, it's literally... Oh, it's only one thirty. That's not bad. I have no excuse. <laughs> bye, bye, Bertie. The army's got you now. I'll try, Bertie. Duper class, there's nothing left to say, but Conrad, you're a guest. Bye, bye, Bertie. Ta-ta, oh, sweetie pie. Bye, bye, Bertie. Time for me to fly. Time for me to Tommy, that was bye bye Berhe. He's in the army now. Berhe is. Except somehow they made a sequel. I want to live my life not knowing anything about the sequel. Have you ever listened? Have you never listened? None. Nothing. Um, I mean, obviously we'll need to cover it at some point. Better or worse than Grease Two? Oh, you're talking to a huge fan of Grease Two. Right <laughs> okay, wrong question. <laughs> But I do. I do have the right question for you. (gasps) Fantastically done. Tell me. The original production of this musical tickles all of your senses the moment you enter the lobby. We're not sure if it had an official smell designer, but let's be honest, it probably did. You're insane. That's it. The official smell. Ew. (laughs) 
<laughs> See what I did there? If you would like to get in touch with us, you can, and please do. Um, our show Twitter is at Jim and Tomic, and our Instagram is also at Jim and Tomic. That is J A M A N D T O M I C. Jim and Tommy. I don't, I don't like that. Jim and Tommy. Oh. Um, or you can join the Reddit discussion. Um, the links are in the show notes in your podcatcher right now. Or you can head on over to jimandtomic.com where they're there for you too. And while you're there, you can check out our Patreon if you'd like to financially support the show. Thank you, as always, so much to our current Patreons. We mm. adore each and every one of you. And reviews on Apple Podcasts are always super helpful as well. They are indeed. Um, but most of all, do you know what? It just helps us out when you tell your pals about the show. Um, so word of mouth is, is key. Spread the word. It's true. That's it. Thanks for listening. And cheers. Cheers. Have ever done this before on pod? No. Ah! <laughs> That's fun. I told you stuff would go mad. Oh man. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.